What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Pure Hope. With your host, Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. Hope is the name the angels gave Reverend Gorman. Help open planetary eyes. And that's what we hope to do on Pure Hope. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. We are coming from a temple called the Hope Interfaith Center. That's in Mankato, Minnesota, and we have listeners all across the nation. And so I'm so thankful that you are listening to us today, and I want you to know that we have a fantastic speaker. And our, our work tonight and is to understand the process of how to prepare for um, death and dying and your celebration of life. And our speaker tonight and our guest tonight will be Julie Wiley. She is an illuminator. She is a brilliant speaker and what I would call a cheerleader for those on a compassionate, loving path of forgiveness, grace, and empowerment, especially for patients and caregivers of those beloved patients. She is now an author, and she had sent me a book, a fantastic book called Cherishable. And what I told Julie is that you know that I'm very, very busy, but this is a book that became so important to me that it helped me prepare for my celebration and thinking about those that I love very, very much. This book is also a guide, an illuminating guide for caregivers and their patients. Julie Wiley couldn't imagine life without her mother, Patty, and most of us find that horrific to even think about. And then Patty, her sweet mother, received a terminal diagnosis, and faced with that reality, Julie set out on an intentional journey to commemorate the final days of their enduring relationship and to prepare for life without her mother. And so how does one even begin to to do that? And those are some of the questions that we are going to ask Julie today. Julie, are you on the air? I sure am. Hi, Hope. Hi, sweetheart. Welcome. Welcome to the Pure Hope Show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Well, this is Cherishable is a fabulous, fabulous book, and I myself have learned so much. And so the first question that I wanted to ask you is, who did you write this book for? And then I'm going to also put, and why? Who did you write this book for and why? Well, I would say this book was a calling on my life. So it wasn't something I was like, oh, I always want to be an author. I always want to write a book. It was like when my mom and I were going through these experiences, we got to the point where it's like, wow, so many good things are happening. And wouldn't it be wonderful to share with others because there's so much to think about at the end of life. And so really, we wanted to share our story as a light for uncharted paths of things to think about or things to consider. So really it was written for people out there that I don't even know that are struggling through mm-hmm. a time with their loved one and they're looking for a little bit of guidance. And that was really how it came to be. And my mom and I even had that conversation. I was driving to work and I said, I don't maybe this is like a book. And she said, yeah, maybe that's what you'll do when I die. And I have been working on it ever since she died in 2008. Well, let's just talk a little about this fabulous mom that you had, because I revisited the book. <laughs> and 
And when I revisit it today, I, I came across the sentence, she officially started a funeral file folder just 12 <laughs> days after her diagnosis. And I thought, like, oh, my gosh, who does that? What Can you tell me a little bit about your mom? And, and like, she must have been very comfortable with death and dying. That's true. She went to a lot of funerals in her life. And she sent hundreds of sympathy cards. And she was very attentive to every phase in life. So she, she went to just as many baby showers and sent as, just as many bridal gifts. So every phase in life she liked to celebrate. And she was very aware of the circle of life. And I think that the more aware we can be of the circle of life, the better we live every day. And she really lived it to the fullest, and that was a great example and one one of the many reasons she was such an amazing mother and person. Yeah, because I, I, when I thought about that, like, I don't know if I would start a file folder. Um, now I might <laughs> after reading your book, but <laughs> but that takes a certain amount of grit uh, and security within um, a mother or a father, whoever, to really, because in this book, she really did design her whole celebration of life. And did she have this all written down then for you completely? Or? You know, so much of it was a collection. Like she would read an obituary and be like, oh, I like this one. Or she would have a funeral program. Like I remember my grandma's funeral program was in there and she like, she said, I like this because my brother Joe got her picture and he had it printed and it's in color. And, you know, she, she kept modeling for us what would be ideal or what she liked. And so then we could take that and create something different and yet be in line with what, what she had envisioned. And what was also interesting and I think I tried to convey in the book is she didn't tell us every detail, but the things that mattered to her, she made sure to convey. And so certain details you think, oh, I wonder why she never really told us X, Y, and Z, or even to the point of she never picked out the picture she wanted at her wake, let's say, whereas maybe somebody else would, but what mattered to her, she made sure to convey. Then we felt like we could celebrate her in ways that honored her and also we could make it our own because of our own relationship with her too. Yeah, because also in that chapter when I read that statement that she planned a private dinner for your family because she knew how exhausting mm-hmm. and tired you would be um, yeah. after that. And I just thought she picked out the kind of the venue and the dinner and uh, yeah. how she wanted your family to come together after that, to regroup, to tell stories, to console each other, laugh and relax. And um, I thought that was great, too, and so intentional as she was walking through this this process yes. of her death and dying. And now, I did she have cancer, if I'm trying to recollect? What was that? Did she, did have, she, cancer have, cancer? She, had... Did she have cancer before this? She, she no, beat, she never had cancer this? before this. She had she was diagnosed with lung cancer, which was a real surprise to us. And at the time, it was a very terminal diagnosis. It wasn't like, oh, if you do this surgery, it'll get better. It was like, nope, this will take you down. It's just a matter of when. And it won't be that long was kind of the sentiment at first. Mm-hmm. And what I was going to say just a titch earlier was, I think this is how families develop their rituals. You know, death can be very unexpected. Mm. I just had a cousin die in November in her sleep, and we never saw it coming. And then because of things we've done with other family members that had died, for instance, always had a dinner or a private family time after more of the public time, we did that as well for my cousin. And so those are the times when you just fall into step of, of course, we'll be together. Of course, we'll gather and the and some families may be like we don't do that but the point is you develop your family rituals by these things that get developed or designed or habits you create and that makes your unique family whatever that is or isn't 
Mm-hmm. Just perfect for each family, whatever mm-hmm. each family wants. When you were writing this book, did it bring up any old feelings or feelings of grief <laughs> while you were writing this book? Oh, of course. Of course. I felt mm-hmm. every spectrum of emotions and it is amazing when you write things down and reread them or have someone else read them, how you can go right back. I mean, that's the way our brains work, right? I mean, you can go right back to, I know exactly how I felt. I can picture that moment perfectly in my head. And, you know, our brains are capable of almost like reliving it. And that's why I think for me, Writing it since 2008 has been a real blessing because it would have been too intense to do, let's say, all in one year. It's had to, it's had to be a gradual thing. And also, I've needed all these years to grieve to now speak publicly about it because grieving can be a very private journey. And I have fully grieved mm-hmm. her death and processed through so many emotions that I'm now, eight, I'm now strong enough to speak without crying all the time or to find the right words. Because this isn't the only tragedy you've been through with death and dying. Do you want to explain just a little bit of that, of your journey? Well, I do have a lot of people on the other side and very precious people. Like I run into some people and they're like, I've never really experienced a close death. And I'm kind of on the opposite side of I've experienced many people that are close to me that have died for a number of reasons. And grief for each person is different. So what I I grieved for my mother is different than what I grieved for somebody else. But each journey is important to process through. And how we process our grief determines today and tomorrow. Because if we have not fully processed through the grief or admitted the grief, it affects my reactions, it affects my behaviors, affects my sleep, affects my weight, it affects everything if I haven't been healthy Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think has been your greatest lesson walking through this journey with your mom and what with with death and dying um like i used to have a leadership class and before that leadership class started i literally would go in and read the obituary of the of people who were in our local paper and i would say say yes to life because these people could not say yes to life for one more day but we can say uh-huh. yes for life for them so one of the things that i have learned by death and dying, and my mother had died of cancer as well, is how to really seize the moment, how to really live life. So what do you think your biggest takeaway or one of your biggest takeaways has been um, with going through this journey with your mom? I think it is to live without regrets. And that doesn't mean mm. every second of my day is peachy keen. It's Today, I was at work all day. I didn't love every second, but there's a purpose for that work and what it provides to me. But to live without regrets to me means to be very conscious of the decisions I'm making and be very aware if I'm not making a decision about something, that is my decision. So... To live without regrets in relation to the time with my mother during her hospice journey or her cancer journey was, yes, I will be attending many of her Mayo Clinic appointments. Yes, I will be taking a leave of absence from my career job to be with my mother to tend to her needs like I never have before. So those were decisions that were right for me aren't the same decisions as other people that loved my mom made because each of us has to make our own decisions and that's how we live without regret, by being confident in the decisions we make. And 
I could give another life decision. Like I've had three miscarriages and when at the time my husband and I decided, okay, that's enough, too much suffering, can't go through that again, we made a conscious decision to live child-free. Well, that's a decision. I don't complain about that. I just recognize it, and it's opened up bigger doors for me to have relationships with children than I ever would if I had just shoved that under the carpet and said, um, I don't have children, I don't like children, I don't want to be around children, you know, that could have been another decision or another side effect of not making a decision. But I think when you make a decision about a certain circumstance in your life, you, like Brene Brown would say, you know, you take that control. You take that control. You figure out your own ending to the story versus being real passive or, or maybe potentially a victim. Mm-hmm. So what's your definition of the afterlife? And it doesn't have to be spot on because I think everybody has a different opinion or an idea because I always tell everybody we really never know until we get there. But what is your description or how you view the definition of an afterlife? Okay, that's a toughie. I would say, though, it is. I've always <laughs> – yeah, you're really – you're really coming on strong. Where you go, Hope? <laughs> I, uh, I've always defined it as heaven. I've always thought of it as heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear people when they're dying say, oh, go towards the light or I can see the light. I also believe that there's the souls of the departed in that heaven and that we will be reunited. And that's why in this life on earth, when I'm alive here, I'm always seeking ways to connect with those souls in heaven or the other side through a collection of nature signs or feelings or thoughts or guidance because I think we all are still connected. It's just a matter similar to, let's say, the dragonfly story of recognizing the souls in however they're trying to show their love for us. So I really do Mm -hmm. believe Mm -hmm. it's not just vapor. We there is a place where the souls go and I really feel the love of those souls in my life every day. And I ask for their help, whether it's for a good parking spot or guidance on a decision or to help me with an emotion. I ask all the time. So do you feel like you're in communication with your mama now, even during this interview? She's just kind of with me. I think her love is just always there. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. sensed her many times writing Mm -hmm. the book about how uh, how to say something or potentially how to how to word something or how to even find the strength not to just have writer's block. How to not just believe. I think every author at some point in time just thinks this is never going to get completed. This is a lot of work to write a book. And mm-hmm. I just would lean on her strength of no, this is this is this is important. This is not to be left in the drawer. It is to it is to be revealed. I love it because it has shorter chapters, and it does <laughs> have um, stories. And with each one, I I have learned something. You know whether it's prayer, the glue that keeps us going, uh, whether it's like there's one that says no regrets, making the most of our time together. And I love the fact another one is choosing your mindset, the silver lining. Um, So there's, again, there's so much in this book that relates to so many areas of our life that you can kind of weave into decision-making or how to live each moment um, with I call like breathtakingly beautiful reality that I get to live today, I get to breathe today, I get to see the beauty of the world today, and 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 so that's what I was kind of my takeaway from the book as well is not only how to prepare and celebrate um, 
my traditions with my family when I leave the planet or my husband leaves the planet, but also how to celebrate each day in somewhat of a ritual of gratitude and appreciation. So it's such a broad span, you know, spectrum of a book that can be read by anyone, anywhere, at any time um, as they read this. And I know our friend Laura Turk has told you that too, is that it's such a, it's such a brilliant book that it, it's good for a wide scope of people, a wide scope of people. So what do you think your hopes are? Do you, do you want to speak um, to groups? Do you want to just, how are you pushing and getting this book out to the universe or are you just allowing the universe to take it out there for you? Well, I would love to be speaking the intention of writing the book was to have a platform to speak to. And I think oftentimes people do write books to then go out and speak about them. I don't necessarily need to be retelling my mom's story again and again. What I would like to be doing is mainstreaming the conversation about grief because I feel that Mm. the I really believe that grief is an undercurrent in so many other issues, addictions, uh, things that get pushed to extremes. I really feel like if you sat with someone and said, what are you grieving? That that would be, to me, a fascinating conversation because I think it could be all different things especially this day and age when we have lives have changed so drastically in the last two to three years. And what are you grieving? And I think it would be fascinating to, to talk that way, but we do not usually talk that way, but I would love Uh for that to be a little more normal Uh because I think that Uh maybe people won't push things to an extreme if they were clear with their loved ones or people around them, like, I'm really grieving X, Y, and Z. I just need to admit that so I don't go overeat tonight or I don't stay up all night long or I don't go gambling to an extreme or whatever the behavior is. I think grief is the undercurrent for a lot. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would agree exactly with what you said is that a lot of people, instead of dealing with their grief, expressing their grief, or feeling safe about talking about their grief, that they could do all of the isms to kind of um, push that down and not deal with it. I don't know if our society uh, has a handle on it or handles it well, at least to talk about grief, like when women have a miscarriage or when you're watching your mom um, go into hospice and moving on to the other side. I I don't know if our society does a good job in helping people heal that grief. Um, So I think that is important to have safety right now. So are you doing any public speaking any place right now about that topic or reaching out to well, hospices you know, I love, to I, say... I do love the Pure Hope show. Good, good, good. I'm speaking mm-hmm. on the Pure Hope show. I have a couple of other things lined up, but it's it's just... I just launched the book and the ebook and the audiobook March 4th, 2022, because I am ready to march forth on my dream of sharing the messages of the book with the world. And that has been... It's been an amazing month, and it's been very well received. And my website is up to date with goodness. And the website is my name, Julie Wiley, but I've got the J as the initial, so juliejwiley.com. And I have been applying to book awards. And so far, I have been recognized by two different book awards, which are on my website. And also, I received a really wonderful audio review, a five-star review on my audio book. And the reason I'm applying to the book awards is because they have a much greater distribution list than I do, and they can reach more people. Mm-hmm. And then my cov- the cover of my book will be out more. It'll be seen as a leader in some new self-help books out there. It'll be seen as a leader in 
biography, memoir, personal struggle books, and I really need some help with getting the messages out there. So that's why the Book Awards is a great avenue for me, and I'm hoping that it leads to speaking opportunities because I think that's where I can have the greatest impact is helping mainstream the conversation about grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be good. And if our listeners have an outlet for Julie to bring out her material and to speak about grief and the process of it, um, I would surely welcome people to email the Hope Interfaith Center, and we will get that material out to Julie as well, or those links and networks. So there might be, and perhaps many people, that are now dealing, they've either just got a diagnosis of a serious illness, and or there might be people out there listening that is taking care of someone who just got a diagnosis. So what, you know, like if someone came up to me and said, oh my gosh, Hope, I just got a diagnosis of stage four cancer or stage four lung cancer or whatever it might be, what do you think are the best words at that time to say to someone who might be experiencing the experience of something chronic and terminal? I think the best words are case by case because it's such a personal Mm -hmm. thing to share. And also what you might say day one is different than what you might say day seven or day 30. But I think what's important is to keep in mind that we always have the ability to make decisions. And the decision of the approach you will take from an attitude perspective will change the course of the whole experience for your family and for the people that love you. And Mm -hmm. if you want to stay in the why me and the victim, and I can't believe this has happened to me. If you want to stay there, you'll have a completely different journey than someone who may stay there for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But if, if someone moves into I'm living with cancer or I do have cancer, but it's not all of me, you will create a much different journey for the people around you and for yourself and for your legacy I mean, we all kind of wonder, like, how will I be remembered? I go to funerals and I hear about how people talk about other people and I'm like, wow, they were amazing. Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. hope to get a glimpse of that kind of impact at my own funeral. Mm -hmm. But you, you just think about how do you want to shape your journey and no matter what, age you are, income bracket, education, you have the ability to make your own decisions about your mindset. It is. I'm going to read just a little bit from the the book called Choosing Your Mindset. So this, my audience, I want you to listen to this because really, I don't know if I would have been able to do this, but this was how remarkable her mother was and still is in the energy of heaven. There are many ups and downs in life. Cancer adds another dimension. One day, life was feeling heavy. On top of mom's cancer, I had recently suffered a miscarriage, which left me feeling sad and frustrated. I had an especially emotional phone call with mom, who was in good spirits in contrast to mine. I'm so upset you have cancer, I raged. Don't you ever get upset that you have lung cancer? I don't know how you can be so upbeat talking about who you're going to have lunch with today. Immediately I realized I did not want to speak to my mother that way, of all people. Why was I taking my emotional tantrum out on her? Before I could say another word, she replied, when I received the diagnosis, at first I was very sad. A few days later, I was able to move my mindset I am living with cancer. I am still living. Cancer is not everything in my life. 
and that's how I stay upbeat. It's a way of thinking. Calm me down. I tried to adopt the same mindset as well as, as possible. Upon reflection, I'm aware she decided, dared, to live when many others would have died in spirit long before they died physically. She was an expert on finding silver linings in life. And I love that piece because, again, very, very early on in her diagnosis, she was able to turn her mindset around and said, I'm still living. I'm living with cancer, but I am still living. And again, as you read this book, you come to understand your mom so well that she continued living um, with cancer versus cancer kind of having her. She was living with cancer and she was still living. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things we talked about, Julie, is your mom still liked fancy dancy jewelry. She still wanted her hair done. She still wanted to wear nice clothing. And I Mm -hmm. loved that part of it as well. So your mom must have really had, again, this personality that really did have a zest for life all the way up to the uh, end, all the way up to the end. Definitely. And that's Thank you for reading that. That is just fire. Yeah. I bet it is. I bet it is. So do you have a certain chapter or anything that kind of hits you or would be good, do you think, for the people who are listening um, out there? And that's yes. why I like the little short version of the clips. Oh, exactly. And well, a couple of things come to mind. So on my website and on Amazon, so the book title is Cherishable on Amazon by Julie J. Wiley. And then on the website, juliejwiley.com, I do have the audio sample of me reading the introduction. And the introduction, Hope, I'm just mentioning now because you've mentioned you like the short pictures and the introduction kind of explains it's a chronological book from diagnosis to legacy and each part has a number of short what my fancy dancy editing people call vignettes so that was one thing that really helped me to work with Pondery's press on the publication of the book because professional editors think in terms of what's good for the reader so when you say oh I like these short chapters it means so much to me because that was another conscious decision that Angela Weekman and I made along with Hannah Kelberg on the publishing side of things of how do you structure the book because how I wrote it was different than how it turned out in terms of the structure and the flow. So one of my favorite parts with the uh, vignettes, I think I just lost the page. Um, I'll have it in a minute here was this, section in considering hospice part three section of letting go a million goodbyes and this was a scene I wouldn't read it to every audience that I potentially might speak to but I feel like your audience hope is one that would have the heart for this so this is it this first part is a quote from Mitch album one of my favorite storytellers my friends If we tend to the things that are important in life, if we are right with those we love and behave in line with our faith, our lives will not be cursed with the aching throb of unfinished business. Our words will always be sincere. Our embraces will be tight. We will never wallow in the agony of, I could have, I should have. We can sleep in a storm. And when it's time, our goodbyes will be complete. Letting go, a million goodbyes. During that final time at the lake home together, Mom and I were sitting side by side on the front patio, gazing out at the lake. In her big, floppy hat, she said, It's going faster than I thought. I know, I replied. 
Neither of us cried in that moment. We just let the realization sink in, knowing our physical time together would be ending soon. We were quiet, and we continued to look at the lake. So hope that's the letting go section. Mhm. That is beautiful. That that is beautiful. It it comes to life in in your writing and and your expression. I'm going to read another one. This is called Wearing a Legacy. My connection with mom's jewelry. In retrospect, I realized jewelry was a focus in my particular story with mom. I cherished the memory of going to her jewelry with her, even though it was challenging at the time. I cherished the honor of gifting her hand-selected pieces, special women in her life, and I especially cherished the pieces I kept of hers. Jewelry is a long-term, tangible symbol of remembrance. While some of mom's clothing and shoes have worn out over the years, her jewelry was a permanence that speak to an everlasting legacy. I love wearing mom's jewelry. I think of her every time I put a piece on. Even just looking at her jewelry reminds me of her, of her love, regardless of the monetary value. Many times I wear certain pieces, If I need extra confidence, strength, or calmness, I often wear the blue stone ring as a source of strength and connection. Sometimes mom's pieces strike up interesting conversations and interactions. Whenever I'm complimented on her her jewelry, I find it healing to share that it was my mom's. We each have our own style with jewelry. And some pieces are timeless, while others are trendy. I took some of mom's jewelry to a trusted jeweler and had new jewelry created for me to wear. For example, we took stones from earrings and rings and had new creations made. The new pieces are more in line with my style, yet they still carry mom's legacy. I wear them often, whereas I'd likely would have just kept the original version in storage. I am grateful that we decided not to bury mom's jewelry with her, as some cultures do. By saving them and gifting them to others, we've enabled her pieces to continue to grace lives in a variety of ways. It's what mom wanted for all of her belongings. I know that. I I myself have found great comfort in staying connected with her in this way. And I love that because a part of the book talked about how when your mom was very, very sick, she emptied out her jewelry box. She emptied it out. And one by one, she told you, I want this piece of jewelry to go to my friend. Um, Uh She picked out each piece of jewelry and wanted it to go to specific people. Uh Uh-huh. And, I, and again, that intentionality, while she had chronic lung cancer, while she knew <laughs> her time was up, she just continued in this book to show you, to show us the uh, readers of this book, how intentional, um, again, not only at the end of life, but it sounds like your mom was very, very intentional in the beginning of her life as she accumulated her jewelry or um, gifting people or seeing people. Uh, She had many, many friends. She made it um, uh, her purpose to reach out to those friends and connect with community, and that showed up at the end of her life as her legacy. Mm -hmm. Thank you for reading that, Hope. As her legacy. Yeah, and also I would just point yeah. out that, make, that that was specific to my mom, jewelry. Some people are like, I don't wear jewelry, I don't like jewelry, but maybe they love books. Maybe they have a whole library of books they want to think about where that would go, or 
certain other collections and it just it it's it's all about making it personal to that person and also when you have something from someone that's passed away it's another chance for a conversation because i find the tangible things will stir up conversations quicker than the memories so someone might be like oh you're wearing your mom's ring and then it'll be like we can talk and we can have a connection in today about that and it's actually really feel comfort in finding that people remember my mom and want to want to say something and sometimes a tangible piece whether that would be jewelry in this case but might be um, a farm tool in someone else's case just a chance to talk talk about that person when she decided to not do chemo any longer because I read that piece also about how she decided as well as this fabulous doctor that you had this oncologist Mm -hmm. who said to continue to go on because I remember reading that like mom why would you stop doing this Mm -hmm. how did that affect you when your mom just said this needs to stop I just need to stop this well we did have wonderful medical care through the Mayo Clinic and it came to the point where our trusted medical advisor literally said the better course of valor is to start hospice versus continue any type of chemo treatment because the chemo treatments are not having the effects that we were hoping for anymore. And I think so often in our culture we think, keep going with treatment. What's the next step? What are you doing? And, you know, you go through cancer for however long and – there's chemo side effects or there's depletion that people feel. And we had exhausted all the options of life prolonging measures. And that was a whole nother phase that I feel like in our culture, we don't, we're so on to the next thing. Even when someone gets engaged, what's your wedding date? It's like, can we just enjoy the engagement? You know, Someone has a baby. When are you going to have another one? You know, it's just like, when, Mm -hmm. when, when? What's the next? What's next? What are you wearing? What are you doing? And it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, there there isn't, like, a lot of more options here. We need to stop this. We need to start hospice. And that was a whole transition that I do write about quite a bit in the book because it's you you just wonder, are we giving up? Or is this actually the healthy thing to do? So, yeah, it it affected us deeply. It's also very hard to share. I will say, this is a generalization, but in our culture, that you're going to discontinue treatment because people are always like, hope you feel better, hope you're doing great, hope a miracle happens and you get you kick this cancer. And it's like, that doesn't always, that doesn't happen for everybody, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 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 And then she gives your your father permission to remarry again. Yes. That that was stated in the book. How did your father handle that when he was told that by your mom? I think when people have a good marriage and really enjoy being married, they tend to want to be in another relationship when it ends because they like that companionship and they know the beauty of that connection. It's not for everyone, but at my father's age and the type of lifestyle he enjoys, it was um, it was nice for him. And he did end up remarrying and he's had a wonderful marriage and they've been very happy together and I'm grateful for that because he was very used to having that type of loving companionship and partnership in life. Mhm. Yeah, it was um it was great reading that. I have to be totally honest. I don't think I'd give Paul permission to die maybe mm-hmm. a few my words, but maybe I'd do it in writing and <laughs> say, "Well, if something happens to me, 
Um, you have my permission to go out. I would wish that I would be that type of person who would give that blessing to Paul. And um, and also, I, the biggest thing is to my girls and my son is that I would want to tell them to not grieve me for the rest of their days and and just go out there and just live life and um because I do believe that the essence of our souls continue to spread their wings or their essence and is around us even at the simplest of times when you're sitting and having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and listening to birds because my mother has been passed a long, long, long time ago. And I can be, and I'm 68 years old, and sometimes I can be just literally planting a flower or having a cup of tea and I can I literally can feel my mother's presence around me around uh-huh. me and 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 it's interesting because it no matter if that like my mother was not a perfect mother but my mother was a good mother and I would I also have told my girls I said even at my age there's sometimes that I wish oh, if I only could have one more hour with my mother, if I could only uh-huh. have one more precious moment with my mother. So if you could have one more precious day with your mother, what do you think you and your mom would be doing or would want uh, to do? It would definitely involve some kind of garden. To think about? <laughs> we love flowers mm. and good food and good, warm, comfortable weather. We'd be wearing great outfits, colorful, I think. And it would just be warm and loving. And I think that's what I try to feel from the heavens. It's just that she, that's for me. And all of the people that she loved and people that she didn't know. She, I just feel like her soul puts out other vibes of goodness into the world, the universe, and how you said with your children, you'd want to convey, okay, I don't want you to be in the depths of grief forever about me. It's like, I think how we honor people as we grieve, when we can attain great joy, I see great joy as a complete life accomplishment. I've been through many, many challenging things in my life, and yet, I have great joy, but I also have made decisions of ways to find that joy and cultivate that joy or pray for that joy. And I've paid many people to help me heal. <laughs> and I have many friends that help me heal for free. But it's it's all about how can we attain living our best lives? And by doing so, we honor our ancestors. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think that is how it works. So are you doing, um, so what was the Dragonfly Project? Okay. So you were working on the, what is the Dragonfly story and what is the Dragonfly Project? Great. Okay, so Janae Bauer, my soul sister, who wrote the foreword in my book, had a retreat years ago. My mom and I were at it. And this woman named Anne spoke, and Anne started the Dragonfly Project when she was 11 years old. It's a nonprofit, and their mission is to send out sympathy cards to people. Like, literally, they would look up obituaries in newspapers and send cards to those families. And the cards have evolved to these beautiful greeting cards with hands. They have a series of artists who have painted dragonfly pictures and they have these cards pre-printed and on the cards it has a beautiful story of the symbolism of the dragonfly and the story if you google the dragonflyproject.org they've got it there but basically it's this idea of you know these grubs are in the pond And they're like, okay, we're grubs, we're doing our deal. And then they notice some grubs go away. 
And then they notice these beautiful dragonflies, but they don't always realize that that dragonfly is actually one of them that has transcended, and the symbolism would be has transcended to heaven, but yet is still coming to visit them in beautiful ways. So the Dragonfly Project helps people with a symbolism of grief. And so many people throughout the world now, when they see a dragonfly in any form, whether it's a picture or someone's jewelry or in nature, they'll be like, oh, that was a special touch from my departed loved one. And my mom and I learned about that at Janae's retreat. And then when she was dying, she said, I'm going to try to find ways to meet you. And those symbols are so helpful. So Mm -hmm. I've, you know, and I see eagles all the time. And I always feel like, you know, love from the heavens from that. I see cardinals. I see hummingbirds. I get green lights. You know, I just look. Because those things are very comforting if you believe mm-hmm. in a symbolic nature and if you believe that there is love trying to reach out to us if we just don't brush it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feel that. Feel that energy. Feel that energy. So do you remember her last words to you? I know that you had said in your book someplace that you thought perhaps the last pieces that your words were about something about morphine. Yeah. Um, Mom, I'm going to put some medicine in your mouth to help your pain. Yeah. And at times I found myself too absorbed in thinking about final words and goodbyes. I wanted them to feel significant and meaningful with the perfect words at the perfect time. In retrospect, we had a million goodbyes. It started when she received the terminal diagnosis back on Halloween of 2005. I'm forever grateful for the time we had between the diagnosis and hospice. It gave us the chance to have many special conversations and meaningful times together. I thank God for this gift. I would have struggled more if mom had had a sudden death. Looking back at mom's cancer journey, I recognize all the subtle goodbyes she said in her own way and in her own time. A pat, a pat on the hand, a soft smile, a sigh. She didn't verbalize many of her goodbyes. Maybe that was too difficult because she was living with hope for a longer life. The goodbyes became more immediate when hospice began, of course. We welcomed mom's inner circle of friends and family to the home and encouraged them to say goodbye in their own ways. These visits felt sacred as we knew time was very limited and precious. In the final hours, those of us closest to her said goodbye by giving her the gift of our acceptance. We wanted her to know it was okay to let go and set herself free of this world. We were ready for her suffering to end. In our own ways, we had assured her we would be all right. Justin made sure she knew that we had dad set up with a new TV and better reception so dad could enjoy all the sporting events. And so it goes on and on and on about the last conversations and how important it is to say goodbye. And I think it is important to say to those whom are terminally ill and their body just isn't functioning anymore and they're in pain and that we can say to them, I give you permission. It's okay to die. Please, please, please. And sometimes what I've found by working with terminally ill people that they really do need to hear that 
from their family and friends in order to release themselves. Definitely. I think they need to hear it too. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's a sentiment of I'm happy for you to be free of your pain and I'm going to miss you like crazy. And just letting them know you're going to miss them, but you're also so ready. Because sometimes I think people go through the treatment just to give their family time to catch up to the realization that they're headed out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. these treatments are not, I guess some people have an easy time with them, but they're not all that easy. And Mm -hmm. people do Mm -hmm. need to feel like they have permission and then they need to do it on their own time. But they will wait for people to come to that acceptance level. Mm -hmm. And I think people can sense when someone's fighting or in complete denial. So it's a great gift to give that acceptance to someone or permission. It is. It's very vulnerable. Well, tell our audience, again, where can they purchase the book, connect with you? Okay. Where can they connect with you and purchase the book once again? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think the most fun place to check first is my website, www.juliewiley, which is J-U-L-I-E-J, last name W-Y-L-I-E.com. That has some fun stuff on there, a little bit of information about book awards. It also has a way to contact me. So there's a place you can email me there. And then there are links on the website to Amazon where I am distributing the book, the ebook, and the audiobook. And the audiobook is in my voice. It was recorded in Stillwater at Wild Horse Recording, which was one of the absolute best experiences of, of my life to record the audiobook. It was just such a culmination of so many creative parts of this journey. And I I highly recommend whichever is better for each person. If you want to hear the introduction in my voice, it's available on Amazon or the website as the sample audio. So that's complimentary. And then... A way to help me would be in the Amazon world, reviews are very important, especially reviews from ebook customers, because those rank differently. So if people want to leave a review, it's, it helps authors so much. Like I just purchased a children's book the other day, and I left a review for the children's book, which was something I usually don't think to do, but I know how much it means to authors now to have reviews. And if you do a review, act like you do not know me because there's a number of things Amazon will do to take down reviews. And one of them is to think that we know each other. So uh, you want to be very anonymous in that way. Okay. Well, it has been a blessing and a pleasure Uh, interviewing you on the Pure Hope Show. And I just want to encourage everyone to get this wonderful, wonderful book. I'm glad that we had time to read uh, excerpts from it because I think you could feel the energy of the words and what was spoken. And so I thank you, Julie, for being on our program today. And we will send you the link, and we will put the link out there to the Hope Interface Center and beyond to the greater community across the nation. So I thank you for joining us today, Miss Julie. Thank you, Hope. Love you. Mm-hmm. Love you, too. Love you, too. Until we meet again, we always have once a month opportunities to meet authors and healers and helpers across the nation. And I bless you from the Hope Interface Center. Thank you all for listening. Please pass this on if you're listening and someone else perhaps will get a gem out of this interview. I appreciate you. And until we meet again, namaste, namaste, namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hope by Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. 
And until next time, remember that true greatness consists in being great in the little things. Be kind. Be gentle. Be loving. Be true. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.